a little while ago, I sat down for a conversation with a new friend, Micah Belong, a famous wise old llama and the host of something called The Word in Black and Red. This is a podcast that is working through the Bible, starting recently in Genesis, and interpreting it from an unapologetically leftist point of view. I have been enjoying this podcast since it started. It has been giving me some fantastic new perspectives and might just be the inspiration behind some upcoming episodes. Micah and I got together to discuss an episode I did a year ago called Herder vs. Herder, episode 6.19. It was based on Genesis 13 and Micah had just arrived at Genesis 13. It was a fun and fascinating conversation, and I thought I ought to share it with all of my listeners. So here it is, as a special extra episode this week. Just one note before you listen. When I started this podcast, I decided to keep my language clean, despite the occasional temptation to do otherwise. Micah Belong didn't make that decision. No judgment on my part for that, but I just wanted to let you know that this episode might have one or two mild swears. This is Retelling the Bible, talking to the Word in Black and Red. The following podcast is banned in the state of Florida for talking about a dangerous leftist book, the Bible. Like the Bible, this podcast contains frank discussions on sensitive topics, including sex, violence, and cursing. Please proceed with caution. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by stupid and harmful passions that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and impaled themselves with many pains because they made money their goal. This is the word in black and red. And welcome to The Word in Black and Red, where we read the Bible from a leftist and liberationist perspective to elucidate the way people of faith and their comrades can understand the Bible as a source of healing, love, and liberation for all people. I am your host, Michael Belong, the wise old llama and bee, joined today by the wonderful W. Scott McCandless, who puts out his own podcast, Retelling the Bible, that I highly, highly recommend, uh, in which he tries to tell Bible stories in ways that allow us to see them from new angles and different perspectives. Scott, I'm so glad to have you here. I'm very glad to be here, Mike, and wonderful to meet you and uh, learn about this project that you started. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about how you uh, how you started your podcast. What what inspired you to retell these stories that we've been telling for thousands of years? Uh, well, it actually started. I mean, I'm I'm now on my seventh season, so you just you this is a long story, unfortunately. 
uh, I wrote a book uh, several years ago uh, on trying to make sense of the Christmas story, especially specifically the story in um, in the Gospel of, of Luke, the way that Luke tells the nativity. And um, uh, basically, I really loved this book. I ended up just self-publishing and I wanted to get the word out. I wanted people to get this different perspective on the Christmas story. And in the course of writing that book, in between the chapters, I started retelling the story um, mm -hmm. in the new way, from the new perspective. And I begin to just love those stories mm -hmm. uh, because the richness of just telling the story from this different point of view. And so I put out my first season, you know, that first Christmas, uh, just telling the the narrative parts of my book, basically as a way to to get the word out about my book. Uh, and I enjoyed that so much that I, you know, after a few months off, I decided I just wanted to keep telling those stories. And so yeah. I started jumping around and basically, you know, there's, there's very little rhyme or reason to it. I, in my own reading, my own studies, I come across a, a story, a, a narrative in the Bible and it can even be something, one is as short as one verse that I turned into a whole, you know, half hour mm. episode. Um, yeah, I just love telling these stories and finding the richness of them and not being afraid, you know, um, my job. I'm I'm a minister in, in a Presbyterian church uh, where I have to, I have a certain job. I have to interpret the Bible for the church and apply yeah. it to the church, which I love doing. Um, but I also wanted to express my love for the Bible for people not necessarily in the church or not even interested in the church because I don't think the Bible's just for church people. Uh, so I didn't want to, I wanted to be able to tell stories without the constraints of thinking, well, this has to be somehow acceptable to the church or apply to the life of the church and, and just enjoying Bible stories for what they are and not being afraid of, uh, saying that yeah maybe you know this one it tells it like a miracle but i actually tend to understand it as a more practical thing in this case or something like that not being afraid to just say what i really think the story or the text is saying you know sometimes with the help of scholarship and things like that so yeah absolutely absolutely well i i love your explanation there because I, like humans are storytelling beasts that's that's one of the things that makes us human How and makes um, sense of the world yes one of the things that I think our modern stories tell us, right? The the modern era is all about the story that capitalism is going to be here forever. Um, it's a mythology called capitalist realism, right? And uh, and there's great books about how there was things before capitalism, and there will think be things after capitalism. And I love that that description you've just given this this story that helps us see another way of being. And I think that. I think the Bible does that so well. And that's why we're making this podcast, right? Because <laughs> the Bible helps us imagine a world that won't be dominated by by these relationships that are ultimately exploitative, but ones that actually help people. But that that's a whole other can of beef. I would love to talk to you more about um, about your story of Christmas. And I, when we eventually do the Gospels, we will definitely have you back on to talk about those. Oh, I um, love that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but today we're talking about the most interesting take on uh, on this tiny little story that I have ever heard. In Genesis 13, there's this little story where Abram and his nephew Lot get into a, uh, get into a struggle 
And, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and read that for us now. Genesis 13. Abram went up from Egypt toward the arid southern plain with his wife, with everything he had, and with Lot. Abram was very wealthy in livestock, silver, and gold. Abram traveled, making and breaking camp, from the arid southern plain to Bethel, and to the sacred place there, where he had first pitched his tent between Bethel and Ai, that is, to the place where he had earlier built the altar. There he worshipped in the Lord's name. Now Lot, who traveled with Abram, also had flocks, cattle, and tents. They had so many possessions between them that the land couldn't support both of them. They could no longer live together. Conflicts broke out between those herding Abram's livestock and those herding Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites lived in the land. Abram said to Lot, Let's not have disputes between me and you and between our herders, since we are relatives. Isn't the whole land in front of you? Let's separate. If you go north, I will go south. And if you go south, I will go north. Lot looked up and saw the entire Jordan Valley. All of it was well irrigated, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as far as Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the entire Jordan Valley. Lot set out toward the east, and they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot settled near the cities of the valley and pitched his tent close to Sodom. The citizens of Sodom were very evil and sinful against the Lord. After Lot separated from him, the Lord said to Abram, From the place where you are standing, look up and gaze to the north, south, east, and west, because all the land that you see I give you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants like the dust of the earth. If someone could count the bits of dust on the earth, then they could also count your descendants. Stand up and walk around through the length and breadth of the land, because I am giving it to you. So Abram packed his tent and went and settled by the oaks of Mamre in Hebron. There he built an altar to the Lord. Now, some of you listeners are going to hear that verse about Sodom and want me to talk about it right away. We are going to have a whole episode completely flipping your understanding of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. But for now, we're talking about this interesting, uh, this interesting disagreement between Abram and Lot. So one of the, my favorite parts of your retelling of the story is that you take this line where they are having uh, disagreements between the two. Let's not have disputes between you and me and between our herders, since we are relatives. And, and put the story in the herder's perspective, where they're angry at each other because the property of their owners are getting in the way of each other. Tell me a little bit more about how you envision that happening. Well, I saw, um, I mean, I was trying to make sense of it, right? This this notion, because what it's saying here is that Lot, both Lot and Abram, they're basically too wealthy, right? They have so much wealth and of course, wealth is measured in that world in terms of flocks and herds. That was wealth uh, that the land couldn't support it. And that, that twigged me right away because I heard like an environmental message. How is it that somebody can be so rich that the land can't even support them anymore? And I started to try and imagine what was going on here. And then when I saw that, you know, this strife is arising between the herders. Um, well, first of all, it immediately reminded me about how. You know, in our society, we have uh, extreme 
extreme differences between the, the, the rich and especially the ultra ultra rich and the poor and you know the the one percent who hold the massive amount of wealth in our society and the and the ninety-nine percent who, who have to split up the rest and the you know the extreme wealth difference. And what often happens, of course, is uh when people look around and they see all of the um all of the people who are struggling, instead of looking around and saying, hey, there's a few people up at the top, a few extremely wealthy people who are actually hoarding all of the resources, what do we do? We start turning against each other, right? And so one people in one trade, they start sniping at people in another trade. You know, people get upset uh, at, at teachers because they've got a union and they've got maybe a decent contract and they say, well, that's not right. And of course, we turn against uh, refugees and immigrants coming in and saying they're the problem. So we turn against each other, the, 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 the people who are turning against each other uh, on the bottom end of the economy, instead of realizing that the real problem might just be that there's a few people at the top who are hoarding all of the wealth. And that's what I saw when I saw, you know, what was going on in this story that Abram and Lot, they had all the wealth. Uh, and so this was causing strife among the lower, you know, the lower minions, the lower classes who were fighting among themselves uh, because they begin to see each other as the enemy. Mm. And um, now I imagine this, I try to understand this in terms of the economy uh, that would have existed uh, presumably at that time. These, these, this is obviously a b- bunch of herders, and so it's all. Uh, and when you're dealing with herders, it's about sharing resources. Uh, it's about access to the pastures. It's about water. You know, especially in the ancient Near East, water was behind everything. So I came to the assumption, probably, that what they were fighting over was access to water and access to grasslands, as, uh, to pasturage. But once again, we have Abram and Lot sitting at the top. They're hoarding all the wealth. They are collecting everything to themselves. These poor herders at the bottom who have this job of feeding the cattle and making sure that every quarter there's more cattle, that the herds are larger because that's wealth and and capitalism drives this this constant sense we got we got to have more wealth for the people at the top yeah absolutely absolutely well and and when we're talking about these 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 lands right lot takes up the entire country of jordan like <laughs> if you look on a cut uh, on the on the current map uh, it would be most of the country of jordan and Abram takes up most of the country of the modern state of Israel and Palestine, right? They take up these huge swaths of land. That That's like taking most of Florida and saying, I have so much wealth that the entire state of Florida can't sustain it. <laughs> yeah, and it's obviously extreme and it's obviously exaggerated, but that is the picture here. Yeah. That you've got people who have become so wealthy that they have distorted everything 
And that seems awfully familiar today, but I guess yes, <laughs> absolutely. And and this word support in the Hebrew it is actually a word that it, that means it literally cannot. It, the foundation does not stand. Like the mm-hmm. foundation of the earth can literally not hold up against the the cattle that are that are running against this. Right? How many cattle have to be standing in one place <laughs> for this for this to be the case? You know, Adam and Lot could feed all of the humans that lived on the earth, if if this story was at all realistic, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they could feed everyone on the earth and still have cattle left over. And yet, instead of celebrating that, instead of working together, they're fighting with each other because they just want to have more of it. And, mm-hmm. and I love that insight there, that, um, that it is just the poor who are fighting against each other. It makes me think of that quote. Um, I know, Scott, you're a Canadian and so you don't, maybe this metaphor doesn't hit you the same way. I don't know. Maybe it does. But that Americans, um, there are no poor Americans. They are simply the ultra wealthy and the temporarily distressed billionaires. And that quote just so perfectly encapsulates the way that the poor in a, in our country who make up 99% of the economy, who make up 99% of the people that we so often see ourselves in in class consciousness and in class solidarity with the ultra billionaires, the, the ultra ultra rich, rather than our fellow working person. And so, yeah, that that line about the herders is so so powerful. And it's why we can't have things like progressive taxation and, and all kinds of things. We can't make things better because of exactly that. Yeah, absolutely. exactly, exactly. Well, and you know, and you were talking about environmental resources as we're thinking about these things. You know, in the again, in American context, we look at at coal miners in West Virginia and the Appalachians. I I butt right up against the Appalachians in my in my hometown, um, and the fact that we have all these people out there who feel like the people who are living in the city like me are stealing their jobs from them because we're no longer relying on coal means that we're no longer working together to solve the fact that you're only digging coal because people don't think your life is worth enough to have you doing something else. You know, the Abram and Lot don't value the lives of their herders here enough. They they see themselves, the conflict between themselves is the primary problem, rather than the fact that their herders are no longer able to live with each other, right? And if you listen to a podcast like Drilled that reports on the ways that um, big oil companies have lied to us for the last, um, you know, the last 30 years in particular, that they're just taking the playbook of big tobacco and working with big tobacco to sell us the same lies over and over again. It's just another tactic, you know, another tactic to keep us divided from each other rather than helping us see each other. Um, but I, we could we could rant about class we consciousness could. all day. <laughs> we could. But it's all it is in here. It is absolutely yeah, in here. The herders have more in common with each other than oh, they yeah. have with with Abram and Lot. And yet they are fighting on behalf of their wealthy masters against each other. And it does it is something that just keeps happening yeah absolutely and i have never heard a sermon on this in any way 
<laughs> you know, uh, and no. because how often do our churches run on the donations of a couple of people who have a lot to lose if you are suddenly pointing out the fact that 99% of the congregation <laughs> uh, has a lot less sway than the 1% who, who keep it funded. <laughs> well, now you're hitting a little close to home. Yes, yeah. Sir. But oh, yeah, that's that is the history of our churches. Yes. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, this podcast is also to call me out as a minister and to challenge the ways that we are institutionally beholden to these things mm-hmm. and uh, and the ways that institutions often reinforce these these readings of the gospel and the readings of the Bible that don't actually challenge the way things are. When we're worshiping a God whose whole point of becoming human was to flip everything on its head. <laughs> Absolutely. So I would love uh, I'd love for you to expand on how the extreme wealth of Abram and Lot distorted and perverted these traditional strategies for uh, for keeping the 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 animals. I have not I'm not an expert in ancient farming strategies. Well, these are herding strategies. Herders are not farmers and they're okay, often, <laughs> they're often at odds with each other. Uh, but what we see, and this is actually something we see in the Bible, uh, you know, in the book of Genesis in particular, uh, very clearly water is, was a, a scarce resource uh, in, continues to be in the, in the Near East. And so absolutely vital to the herders is access to wells. You can understand that. And there are several stories, several passages in the book of Genesis in particular about wells. And, you know, Isaac, for example, he digs wells and then other people claim them and there's fighting. And this well is called strife and that well is called um, violence, you know, because they were constantly fighting over access to water because it was one of those scarce resources. Uh, People will always uh, struggle over scarce resources. But one of the management tools that they had for managing access to water, and and we see references to this again in the book of Genesis, is what they would do is they would put these massive stones on top of wells. And the idea was they would put a stone so big on top of the well uh, that the only way you could open it was if all of the shepherds, all of the herders got together at once, everybody heaved and hoed, and then they opened the well, they watered the animals, they closed the the well again and moved on. So that was a way of guaranteeing that nobody could empty the well, you know, dry it out and uh, hog the water, basically. The whole community had to come together to access the well. What I suspect the, the author of Genesis is saying here is when he says that Lot and Abram had become so wealthy, they had so much herds, that they alone were able to open and close the wells. So they had so many herders working for them that they were hogging the water in the wells, which means, you know, if Abram's herders got up really early in the morning, they would water their animals, leave the well in its dregs, they would go off and feed their their sheep and their cattle. And then Lot's herders would come along and they would just get the, you know, the the remnants of the, the water underneath and they get the murky water and they would take forever to, to water the animals. So that's probably where that strife comes from. It's basically this idea that somebody has subverted an age-old strategy for sharing resources just by being that wealthy. It's really funny that you keep saying that they're hogging the water 
when Abram and Lot would would not think that's very kosher. Um, yeah, so. no, <laughs> that was the verb that came to mind. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah, no, no, it's a good one. It's a good one. No, and and it does fit right because. It, because it's not kosher to be stealing the water when other people need it. It isn't in a, in accordance with biblical law or that is the tradition of how you share resources. Absolutely. It, it, it belongs to the whole community, but when you got some people who are wealthy enough that they can control this key resource, that's when things really get out of shape. That's what happens pretty clearly. The 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 far more important point than my dad joke is, you know, this ancient system for making sure that everyone had enough is completely subverted, right? And throughout the Bible, we see these same sort of systems to ensure that everyone has enough being subverted time and time again. And it starts here with Abram and Lot, and then it goes on that that uh, in ancient Israel, you were supposed to leave the edges of your field so that poor people could come and harvest it, and they could make sure that they were able to survive. And the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, you see this happening, that Ruth and Naomi go out to the fields, they gather what they can from the sides, and that obligation stands up. Well, as you talk about in your story, uh, in your retelling of Luke, the fact of the matter is that this resetting of property to ensure that everyone in Israel still had traditional farmlands called the the Jubilee, um, that guarantee, that that socialistic guarantee that everyone has enough land and a home and a place to farm and grow your own property is completely lost under Roman occupation. And they're not giving those things back. They're not leaving the edges of the field because people no longer have enough excess wealth um, as individuals to be able to afford to feed the poor in the community. And so we see this pattern continuously playing out that ancient societies have strategies to make sure everyone has enough and those get eliminated. In our own time, we have the commons, right? Um, well, not our own time. This is a couple hundred years old at this point. Yeah. But <laughs> in in uh, cultures like ours that come from the Anglo-Saxon tradition, there were the commons. And the commons were areas where everyone could go and farm. And nobody owned it. It was shared in common between everyone. And everyone made sure that everyone had enough. And now you see the, the segmentation of that, the closing off of it, the enclosure of those properties. So that now we all have our nice little lawns, our manicured lawns that none of us can grow anything on because Absolutely. it's all about showing off our beautiful lawn and wasting our resources, our shared resources on that useless project rather than a traditional means of making sure we all had enough. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm absolutely with all, yeah. all of these these ancient people did have ways of figuring it yeah. out and sharing resources and yes. Uh, it's all been subverted, and and actually, wealth is often the thing that yeah. distorts it and gets it all, because wealthy people start changing the laws and the rules, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, who enclosed the, the the fields of Scotland? It was the wealthy landowners. Absolutely, exactly, yes. exactly. And and thousands of people died because of it, yeah. right? You yeah. know, we we talk about the Irish potato famine, and we pretend that it's because of blight. No, it was because wealthy wealthy landowners wouldn't let their tenants raise crops to be sold to themselves. Mm -hmm. And they Ireland remained the main breadbasket of the British Empire while thousands of uh, yeah. millions of Irish people were starving. All that food was exported while people were yeah. starving. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
but what I love about these commonalities and these this repeated pattern is that we consistently find throughout history that human beings are always looking out for the ways that we can help each other, that we can make sure that people have enough, that 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 people can share in the resources and the wealth that we've been given. And yet a couple of selfish people, a tiny minority of people come in and they ruin the system for the rest of us. Right. You know, who who wouldn't want to make sure that your hungry neighbor is fed? We all do better when our hungry neighbor is fed, right? And we can solve so many of these problems, but for the greed of just a few people. And um, yeah, so when we when we're talking about capitalist realism, it's not upheld by most of us. <laughs> it just takes a couple. So, but but those few have a lot of power and influence. Yes, because <laughs> they can buy off a lot of people. So we have to decide that something is more important than money, um, which, you know, some some guy like Jesus or something. I can't remember his name. Exactly, you might have but, said a few things along that line. Yeah, I, I want to turn it now to uh, to Abram and Lot and their relationship throughout this story and the way that you see that happening. It's interesting that Abram and Lot are in no way concerned about the herders. You know, we have this this little throwaway line that's at the end of. Abram saying to Lot, let's not have disputes between me and you and between our herders since mm -hmm. we are relatives, right? Mm -hmm. it, it feels like a an afterthought at the most. Um, so talk to me a little bit more about this, this breaking up of their relationship that you see happening here and, and how that plays out. Well, I, I mean, and maybe I was probably influenced by, you know, sort of the idea of the rich guy club sitting around and, you know, smoking cigars in the in the club or something like that, talking about the the poors that work for them. But that was sort of the 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 way I started to look at it. I mean, when I when I told my story and I started to imagine the strife between the herders, I turned that into almost an open battle. You know, they were fighting over access to the well one day. And then, you know, when I switched my scene back to Abram and Lot, just sitting out and talking about their problems, I, you know, why are they upset? Well, why are they upset? Probably because, you know, there were some cows or some sheep that got killed or maimed or hurt in the in the middle of the melee they're worried about what happens to their wealth they don't seem to be particularly worried about their herders i see them concerned about they recognize i mean pretty clearly throughout the story this is about their wealth it's all boasting about their wealth saying how extremely wealthy they are and wealth is measured in one thing cattle and so their only focus as far as i can see is uh, how do I maintain my wealth and how do, do I make sure it continues to grow? That's what I see them doing. So I see Abram and Lot saying, well, we need to find some kind of situation where we can continue to see our wealth grow. Uh, and, that's, and that's, of course, the obsession of basically a capitalist system where uh, it the end goal is only increasing value to the shareholders. That's the only thing that matters. And so, yeah, they'll separate so that the herders aren't fighting with one another. But it's really about putting themselves in a situation where they can make sure their wealth can continue to grow. Yeah. And again, I'm probably influenced by, you know, some of the, you know, the the Bezoses and the Musks of our world and, you know, seeing what they're doing with their extreme wealth and and 
you know, the the measures they take to just make sure that it just continues to grow no matter yeah. what. I might have been influenced by that. <laughs> well, and I, I want to say, uh, you're absolutely right. It's measured in cattle. But it's interesting that in this story, the other thing that they mention are tents. They mentioned this this place of luxury, this place where you have air conditioning to yourself, where the herders are out. You know, they're they're getting out there dirty. They're messing with these smelly sheep and these cows and, you know, probably stepping in, in dung heaps and everything. But we get to be in our tents. And the more tents we have, the more ostentatious we are. You yeah. know, the more our McMansion looks even greater. And the tent isn't serving any greater function but to be a luxury to these extremely wealthy people. Not that there are any analogies in our modern context. No, uh, no, 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 of no. course. And one of the other things that strikes me about this story is that Abram and Lot are able to see, oh, there are actually resources in abundance for us, right? They're able to see, oh, there are resources in abundance. We can just be separated and we can still have our bajillion cows, right? <laughs> we can still Yeah, have I mean, basically the conclusion is, hey, if the land can't support us, well, that's not that's not our problem. That's the land's fault. So we yes. need to find new land. That's their conclusion, right? So it's Absolutely. the land that is at fault if the land can't support this extraordinary wealth we have. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And and yeah, they're perfectly fine to live in in a concept of abundance when it's for themselves, but they are perfectly fine leaving the poor to struggle with an idea of scarcity. And the herders can only see, oh, there's only this much water left. We have to protect it. We have to fight each other for it. And Abram and Lot go, oh, there's plenty of land. We can go and spread out and be in different places. And, you know, it's definitely not at all analogous to today where we see so many people, so many populations who are living in these areas that are being profoundly affected by climate change and are going to see the brunt of climate change, most of whom have not participated in the benefits that we get from destroying the earth, most of whom have had their things stolen because we insist on destroying the earth. And when it all falls apart, who's going to be comfortable and have everything they need? Yes, <laughs> not exactly. The poor folks. No, 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 exactly. And so, yeah. And so that that comes through this story as well, that they have this concept of abundance, where if Abram and Lot had just said, there is plenty here, we have enough, then the, they could be given the extra cows away to the herders, the herders could go off and be happy and healthy, you know, we could have the all land of this would excess. have been able to bear them, yes. Exactly. Yes. And it wouldn't even require Abram and Lot to have given that much up to be able to be happy and healthy the rest of their lives, have no problems, and support the rest of the people. But instead of doing that, they say, no, I'm just going to keep being selfish, and I'm going to go ruin another plot of land. <laughs> the well's got to keep growing, yeah. Yes. And of exactly. course, I, I couldn't help but jumping from that to uh, sort of the, our, our billionaire space races of today and uh, you know, them <laughs> jumping off, well, okay, we've used up this planet, we're going to go find yes. another one. But yeah, who's going to be benefit from that other planet not not all of the herders again once again absolutely i mean you know there that logo there is no planet b it's a great logo for most of us because for most of us there is no planet b we mess up this one there's no more but jeff bezos certainly thinks there is a planet b for him and you know maybe peter teal or however you say his name you know yeah. 
Yeah, that <laughs> they, gang, anyways, yes. Exactly. They think that they can make their rockets and go off into space, but completely missing the fact that if they continue to destroy this Earth, it destroys it for them and their families too. And so I, I'm on this kick of saying leftism helps us all, right? You know, it helps all of us because it provides a planet where we can live and be healthy and happy. And I'm not saying to Jeff Bezos, you have to have zero dollars in your bank account or we're going to string you up or anything like that. I'm saying, Jeff Bezos, I am perfectly happy for you to live on $100,000 a year, for you to have a great life where you get to travel and hang out with people who love you and, and you know, and, and maybe get some hair plugs, you know, like you can have a perfectly happy life, but you don't deserve to destroy the planet for the rest of us just so you can have an extra zero after your name, you know. Yeah, might not put it exactly like that, but yeah, no, I'm with you. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. I so appreciate you. I feel like we could keep talking about this issue for a long time, um, but I feel like we've we've certainly got enough for our listeners to digest. And I so appreciate you you being here. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share with with our listeners? Um, well, thank you for giving me the chance to talk about this. Um, I suspect maybe with this project you're working on, uh, we might be able to intersect on a few other passages down the road. And, and I hope we do get a chance to do that because it's been really fun talking this through and I appreciate your perspective. It's interesting. Yes. Likewise. I, I have so appreciated listening to retelling the Bible. It has just been a blast. And um, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but uh, uh, it makes me think of this in Ignatian manner of praying yeah. where you put yourself into the story you look around the world and see all the different ways that it brings you and i love that because as we're reading this bible together in in this leftist bible podcast we're looking at the world we're reading the world again in light of what these stories have to tell us and in light of how they can change our perspectives this ancient perspective that is still a an incredibly powerful tool for understanding our modern world and so thank you for helping bring that to life for us today just to let you know i just put out today my my podcast on on the creation story genesis 1 oh very good <laughs> uh, which is uh i argue actually a radical story of uh, resistance against an oppressive uh, violent culture well listener if you haven't already listened to our genesis one go over to retelling the bible right now and look up scott's version i i have a feeling they're going to pair perfectly together thank you scott so much for joining us and thank you wonderful listener for tuning in if you're interested in discussing this episode, religion, or general leftism, please join our Discord channel found in the show notes. We host a Bible study every Friday at 12-ish p.m. Eastern Time to discuss this week's episode. If you're interested in supporting the show, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash the word in black and red. Your support helps me pay our amazing editor and relieves my guilty conscience of exploiting someone's free labor. If you would like to appear on the show or reach us for any reason, you can reach us at the word in black and red at gmail.com. Now, future Micah, say the profound shit. Go in the peace of the God who gives in abundance more than we could ever use on our own. Shalom.
That is it for this extra episode of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so you can get the next episode next week. And do check out The Word in Black and Red, which I would highly recommend. I also hope they'll have me back again soon because it was a blast. I'll leave a link in the show notes. The theme music for the podcast is Ada. It is by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under the Creative Commons and can be found at filmmusic.io. You can contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible, on the Facebook page Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. Thanks again to my awesome Patreon supporters who back this podcast. If you would like to join them or discover the benefits they receive, go to patreon.com slash retelling the Bible. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.